2: So, sit back and relax and enjoy another great episode of the award winning Mike Wagner Show.
3: Hey, everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebcedios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. SonicWeb Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at SonicWaveStudios.com. Mention the Mike Widener Show. Get 20% off your first project. Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon, paperback, and ebook. Missing is fast paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson Zia has gotten great reviews and EVE 11 enjoys by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassidy, Forge Riley, Eminems. So grab your copy today, for Girls Missing by Mia Molson Zia. Available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, on over 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music, also heard on HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and a few networks coming soon. Take the Mike Widener Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies, baseball gear. Makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash ZF. For great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles, also T-shirts, pops out kids, hoodies, um, phone cases, and more, Amazon.com slash me and Zia. Check it out today. I'll support The Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, Show.com, and make sure you give generously today. We're here with a terrific lady who's an author of a book um, which talks about um, the, the cult as well, too. She's a certified clinical nutritionalist, biochemic an- analyst, and also an educator for over 33 years, she spent 25 years of her adult life in a cult under the influence of a narcissistic uh, psychopath. And also her new book outlines a journey and shares why she made the choices she made in her life and also which offers a unique view on why others made their choices. And uh, her story presents a compelling portrayal of uh, political and cultural dynamics of groupthink mind control. We'll talk about that. Live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Plus Studios in beautiful downtown Austin, Texas, the certified clinical nutritionist and biochemical analyst and educated for over 33 years, author of the book, The Followers, Holy Hell, and the Disciples of the Narcissistic Leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, the very multi-talented, Radia please Radia, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, Mike. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it.
3: Well, it's great to have you on board, Yes. So you're a certified clinical nutritionist, or CCN. You're a biochemical analyst and educator for over 33 years. You spend 25 years of your adult life in a cult under the uh, influence of a narcissistic uh, so, social path and uh also your new book outlines your journey and shows why you made the choices you made in your life and also offers a unique view on why others make their choices and your story presents a very compliant portrayal of political and cultural dynamics group think uh, mind control and some of your experience as well too you can um you know you know share some of that your book is called the followers holy hell and disciples of the narcissistic leaders and uh before getting all that uh radia tell us how you first got started
1: well, you know, Mike, um, and and it's funny because people, you know, they, they typically ask me, you know, why did you join a cult, right? And, and I always say nobody joins a cult. You don't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to join a cult. Uh, <laughs> it,
3: I think many of us have been there done that after a few drinks. <laughs>
1: it, it just sort of creeps up on you. It originally started back Well, for me, it started back in Los Angeles in the early, very early 80s. You know, and back in Los Angeles at that particular time, I mean, I grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. There was a lot going on in the culture at that time. There was pretty much a cult on every block. You had your Scientologists and your Moonies and your Hare Krishna. And, you know, and there was so many things going on in the culture. You know, there was civil rights and gay rights and... Women's rights, and so the 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 flavor of the culture was a revolution, basically. Um, so I grew up I grew up in Brentwood, and uh, I grew up in a very affluent uh, background, and you know I wanted something deeper. I was looking, as many people, especially at my age, at that time, in the 60s and 70s. We're looking for a, a deeper uh, a deeper life and and deeper meaning in our life, you know. So one thing led to another, and I there was lots of books out at the time, and lots of uh, different uh, philosophies. And of course, that was in Los Angeles at that time. It was the life of Drug, Sex and Rock and Roll. Lots
3: mm-hmm. of crazy things going on. Oh, so, yes. We've all been there, done that. Yes. <laughs> oh, sure.
1: You know, so, you know, I got to a certain point where I was really looking for something beyond the status quo, beyond the superficial life. And um, so I, I, I described in the book, the book is divided into three sections. The first section is called The Journey, which is my life growing up in Brentwood. Uh, The reason why I I start from the beginning is because people are curious. um, They're curious about how a person coming from the background that I did ended up in a group like this. And so I had to take it back from the beginning. I had to take it back and follow the sort of psychological journey uh, of a person and how they find themselves um, in a group Um, And it it generally is you're looking for like-minded people. And so when you find them, um, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful experience. You don't know that you're going into a cult. As a matter of fact, it wasn't in the beginning. It actually morphed into that through the years. And that is how uh, when you're under the influence of a narcissist, most people don't, and especially back then, we didn't recognize that term uh, narcissist as we do today. Uh, especially, you know, there's a difference between basic narcissism and a malignant narcissist. And and so there's a distinction there. And narcissism is not a character flaw. Um, it is a dangerous pathology. So my book, um, which in the second half of the book I go into, and I I did a lot of research. I am a researcher. I'm a researcher as a biochemical analyst and what have you. That's just basically what I do. I have a graduate degree in that, and I know how to research. So I'm going to fast forward to, I, I left the group in 2006. So I was about 20, uh, about 25 years I was involved at least with with people that were related to this. And um, when I left, I thought, you know, I'm just I just want to leave. I I don't ever want to look back. Uh, I was done, and I never wanted to look back. And then in 2016, the movie, the documentary on this group, Holy Hell, came out. That's why Holy Hell is in the the name and the title of my book. So when Holy Hell came out, the first time I saw it was at Sundance Film Festival. So there I am with a whole group of strangers um, looking at my life splayed out on the big screen. And there were details in that film that I hadn't, that I didn't know. You know, the, the leader was a homosexual. So for women, we were not abused, but there were many of my dear, what I consider my brothers, they were. They were sexually abused. And so while I'm sitting there in this theater, I'm hearing this, the details of it for the first time, which was re-traumatizing, I will tell you that. Oh my gosh. So, you know, when I when I left and you know, you have to imagine it, Mike. Imagine what a mother must feel like when she finds out years later that her children were sexually abused by the father. You know, that's, that's the way I felt, you know, and I love these guys. These are, these are my best friends. These are my family, my brothers for 25 years. And I'm just now really getting the details. So, so I went back and I decided I need to, I need to figure out how this happens. And, and, you know, people say to me, or they have said in interviews, they go, wow, Roddy, you know, you seem so intelligent. And really what they're saying is, wow, I was really expecting a gullible fool,
4: you know, <laughs> a, a, an
1: uneducated idiot, you know, because people think, and and I, I knew from the question and answer period in these, I was in many Q&As for this film, not only at Sundance, but in Austin and Los Angeles and in Hawaii and what have you. And typically, the attitude that I would get is some people would look at the film and they'd go, yeah, I get it. I would have joined that. And others would go, I'd never be that stupid. You know, how could anyone be that gullible? How could anyone fall for that? And so that was something that I really wanted to explore. Um, And you, you have to remind the audience that the filmmaker, Will Allen, who was one of the victims, Um, he had 45 hours of archival footage and he has to tell a story as a filmmaker of 30 years in 100 minutes. Wow. So, So he's challenged with having to build a story arc and start it from the beginning and end it in this nightmare all in 100 minutes. So when people in the audience are looking at that, They're forgetting that that this transpired over a year, over years, decades. So it didn't start out like that. The guy didn't look like that in the beginning. He wasn't acting like that in the beginning. You know, so you don't know. It's kind of like the old story of the frog in warm water, you know. Mm -hmm. So I set out after the movie um, to do some deep research on narcissism. On the difference between narcissists, malignant narcissists, narcissistic sociopaths, and I, I explored, and I have, you know, a lot of uh, citations in my book. I got 262 citations in my book mm. of, um, of looking and comparing with other leaders, whether they were religious and spiritual leaders or political leaders or whatever, to try and find the common threads. What is the characteristic of a narcissist or a malignant narcissist and how do they become leaders? And in my journey, Mike, um, while I was you know unfolding all of this, I realized, first of all, this book, I'm realize I, I was paralleling it to some of the things that we're seeing today in this country. Um, I paralleled the character of this spiritual leader that I was with with the character of anywhere from Jim Jones and Charlie Manson Mm -hmm. to Hitler, to Donald Trump, to other people like that.
3: Donald Trump, a cult leader. Interesting.
1: Well, okay. So he's a narcissistic. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I went down this path, I realized, first of all, This book is not about politics. It's not about party. It's not about politics. It's not about policy. It's about pathology. So I wanted to, I wanted to understand that pathology, you know. So I went and in the second part of the book, I take literally the diagnostic manual of mental disorders. And I take, you know, line by line and I show and give you an example of my life in the battlefield, field, under him, under his influence, and then the lives of other leaders, whether they're political or spiritual or whatever. And they all have very similar patterns.
3: Hmm. And, and, and what are those patterns?
1: They're, for one, they're pathological liars. You know, a narcissist, the characteristic of, of a narcissist is, they don't care about you, I promise you that, they don't. They only care about one thing and that is themselves. But they're very, very skilled at manipulating their followers. So they figure out what you want or need or are afraid of, and then they become that for you. So, and they will do it by deception, by lying, by whatever it takes. And they're extremely skilled. They're like um, they're like chameleons. They'll be what you want them to be, and um, so. While I was doing, while I was writing this, I, I realized, you know what? This isn't about the leader. When I first wrote the book, the working title was called Duped. Because, yes, we were duped, And, mm-hmm. yes, he used all kinds of parlor tricks and all kinds of, you know, lies and deception and weird, you know, stuff to make you believe in what he was selling. But the point was, and I changed the name to The Followers, because without the followers, the leader is helpless. The leader cannot do anything, and I don't care if it's a religious leader or a political leader, without their followers who do their bidding, they are useless. So I changed my perspective on this, you know, yes, (laughs) yes, or, or we had to ask the question: Were we victims, or were we perpetrators? And actually, the answer is both. Mm-hmm. So typically, we built him, we created him, we gave him a sort of a think of it like a feedback loop. He gave us what we what we thought we wanted, or what he sold us on, and in return, we gave him what he wanted, which was loyalty, adulation, you know, putting him, you know, up on a, you know, a pedestal. And that's exactly what a narcissist craves. So there is that feedback loop. And without us, he would be nobody.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and with this lady you're talking about as well, too, that you're in the cult, uh, who, who who would you say he'd be mostly resembling? Like uh, what, Some Mayan Moon would be resembling Hitler? David Koresh or Jim Jones or um you know, or what leader do you think uh, closely resembles uh who you followed out those 25 years?
1: I think that they all have very similar characteristics, every one of them. I don't care if it's Manson, I don't care if it's Jim Jones, I don't care if it's uh Kim Jong uh moon um, I don't care if it's Hitler. I don't care who it is the characteristics of a pathological narcissist are textbook. That's why I actually use the textbook to do these parallels. And so I kind of take you down this journey in my book. Um, I take you down this journey sort of step-by-step. Step. How you become a follower and why. And there's lots of reasons why. Um, In the third section of my book, I delineate three different types of followers who find themselves in a a cult or in a group like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're interchangeable. In that section, I start out with, you know, unless you're a sociopath, there's always that line in the sand that you will not cross. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. that's where you say, enough, I'm not going to go any further. But there's a lot of little gray lines that you'll step over, depending on what motivates you. And that could be anything from, as far as I was concerned, I was looking for enlightenment. I was on a journey from the time I was 14 years old, looking for union with God. So what what and, and most people when they get involved in groups like this, it, it's not the leader that starts them off. they're already looking for it they, they, they already have an idea of what they're looking for. Um, he just taps into what who you are like a good con and remember the word con comes from the word um, confidence. So he instills, a type of confidence that he can deliver what you think you want mm-hmm. whether it's enlightenment or whether it's uh tax breaks
3: <laughs> tax breaks don't we all want tax breaks do we
1: <laughs> depends on there's those gray lines it depends on how far you're going to go to get them mm-hmm. but everybody's got a motivation. Mm-hmm. So So you start with that motivation and what you are seeking, and you're looking for that leader to fulfill whatever your desires are. In some cases, uh, you know, I I refer to the three types of of people that join cults. The first, uh, I call them the hummingbirds. They don't really have, like, a major conviction, you know. They're not really there, you know, but they're looking for a place to belong, and they're Willing to adopt whatever the group is espousing, if it if it seems to fit. That's a hummingbird. So they they, they have very short gray lines before they're out. As soon as, as soon as the going gets tough, usually they'll bail. The right. Second,
3: yeah. That's why they hum along too. So yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So the second type are the soldiers on a mission. There, I was more like a soldier on a mission. My mission was enlightenment. My mission was to, you know, I had grown up a, a Catholic. Um, I learned the stories of the saints. And I wanted to be a saint, Mike. Mm. Not, oh, look at me, aren't I a special person? I wanted what they were having. You know, they always had this these stories of very transcendental... Transcendental kinds of experiences where they could be tortured or they could be whatever, and they could transcend that, their body and mind, right, to have union with the divine. Mm. So Interesting. when I was, you know, a child and I learned about these, I didn't want to worship a saint or worship Jesus or worship Buddha. I wanted to be what they were. I wanted to go and do what it took to go through that journey, you know, like the Buddha, like Krishna, like all of the the, the deities of all of these religions, right? Mm-hmm. And not out of ego, but out of real longing for union. So I was a soldier on a mission. I was, you know, I was willing to do what it took because all of these saints in history. Went through whatever it took uh-huh. for transcendental experiences. So, from an Eastern standpoint, which much of uh, much of the teachings that were going on at the time in my group was Eastern and Western, but mostly Eastern. So, and that was very hot back then. You know, uh, there were there were leaders that were coming in from India and wherever. They were bringing new ideas, uh, new spiritual ideas, um, to the culture at the time. So this was more Eastern meditation-based oriented. And uh, so I was really, really into that. And so there was a particular technique that there were four techniques, actually. And with these techniques, if you devoted your life and your time to doing them, you could experience these heightened transcendental states. Mm. So that's what, that's what the leader was offering. Now, in the beginning, that's, what he, that's all he talked about. He never talked about himself. It was all about these techniques, and it was all about your personal relationship with God, and he referred to himself as just the midwife
3: you know <laughs> midwife oh my yeah. goodness yeah he's, he's, why would he come up with that term midwife that's a question well, because, it's a guy why midwife I'm wondering well,
1: because, <laughs> because what he would say is that this is your birthright that this is everyone's birthright that union with God you know that you are a product of that and so that is your birthright so he would refer to himself as the midwife so to speak Um, in teaching you how to give birth really to yourself, if if you will. So in the beginning, that's what it was about. It was all about the techniques and all about the devotion to that. But through time, as the group started to develop and as the group started to experience um, different things, you know, in, in Eastern spirituality, there are different practices that you do. For example, uh, pranaming is one. Now, pranaming in Western culture is a little a little odd, but in Eastern culture, it's not odd at all. You bow, basically. You would, you know, prostrate yourself in front of an elder or a teacher or a guru or whatever, right? And this was not unusual in, in the east, but in the west, this was very new, right? So he used to uh, he used to explain that when you when you do that, when you pranam, it, it, the goal is to transcend your ego, right? Mm. Because your ego is the identity of self. So if you have a, a me, a self then that's automatically a separation. You can't have a God and a me. That's a duality. So in order to have union with one, you have to transcend the ego. Okay. Now, in theory, that's logical. Okay, fine. So how do you do that? Well, certain practices. Um, So he would say, when you pranam, this is a gesture to yourself or to God, that you put your head below your feet. That's what it meant. You know? So by making that gesture, you're saying, you're offering up the idea of you, right? To that. So watch this, Mike. So what happened was that was the, in the beginning, right? Uh And and so people would come and they, (laughs) we would go into the altar room and in the altar room, there was all these, you know, pictures of saints and, and Buddha, and Jesus, and all these things. And uh, and his picture was like in the back, right? You would come in, and there would be incense, and music, and whatever, and you would pranam as a gesture, and you'd gather yourself and take your shoes off, and then you'd go into the main room. Well, after a while, you know, in the beginning, people would pranam, because he was the teacher, as a gesture of respect, right? And he would push us away and say, don't do that. You're not bowing to me. But after a while, he stopped pushing people away. After a while, he was sort of, yeah, I like this, right? So in the beginning, it's not a cult, right? We Mm -hmm. are starting, we're starting to feed this narcissistic personality. So the generations coming in behind us never got the story about placing your head below your feet. They just saw us bowing in front of him. They thought, that's what you're supposed to do. And so they did. And he began to really like it. Huh? So so this slow process of literally creating and massaging his ego is what we were doing inadvertently. You know, we were loving him. He was very charismatic. He was very funny. He was very, uh, we didn't want an Indian guru. We wanted a contemporary Western guru, you know, and somebody who was funny and somebody who was, and he was, and intelligent, but he was, um, you know, he was, he was charismatic. Now, i come to find out that all of that was staged. All of it. I didn't find that out. I didn't find that out till years after I left, that it was staged he would literally read out of these um, great books of Indian saints whatever, write a script, memorize it and then that night he would you know say these things as though they just came tripping off his little enlightened head. It he was a total fraud a fraud from the beginning.
3: oh my gosh. It made me think of that song by living color, cult of personality. Look at my eyes. What do you see? Follow me and everything else. That's reminding me of his way too. And um, you think about that. And of course, you know, if you try to, you know, put your head down to your feet, oh, my back would hurt after a while. It's like, ouch. I I can't imagine myself doing that.
1: Yeah. So remember that we were transcending our body, our ego, our mind, our desires, our will, are everything right? And he mm-hmm. isn't that very appropriate for a narcissist to take advantage of? So he would do things like, and I found this out later. You know, he had he had ripped off, first of all, the meditation techniques, he stole them, he stole them from um, uh, from Maharaji. He was never a disciple of Maharaji's, he conned a premi into giving him the techniques and then he said oh they were given to him by God he was a total liar total fraud but you know you know we were having we were having a good time you know so first of all you don't particularly question you don't really want to question because you're having a good time and you're sitting with people and we're all singing and we're dancing and we're you know living together and and sharing food together and going to the beach and going to the movies and doing all of these fun things, right, along with it. So, and of course, he is creating that environment, making it more and more difficult to leave. And then when people did want to leave, that's when he started, which is another typical narcissistic uh, technique, is he will bully you. He'll bully his enemies. And he'll get you to bully them, too, or Mm. ostracize them. That's happening right now in our political system right now. Mm. And he will separate those who are not supporting him or not, you know, um, loyal to him. He will separate them and make them enemies. And he will get you to make them enemies. Mm. That is a typical technique that narcissists use. They also compete with the outside. They want complete attention. They want all of your attention. So they will compete with your family or friends or anyone else on the outside who wants to influence you, who wants you to perhaps hear what they have to say or see a different viewpoint. Uh Uh-uh. So he will bully them. He will ostracize. He He will be vicious towards them. So, what's the double message there? You're also getting the idea that if you become his enemy, he will do the same to you.
4: Hmm.
1: Huh. That is typical. These are typical characteristics that um, we're seeing today. Hmm. We're seeing this country being split in half.
3: Now, now, is money ever involved uh, in the cult as well, too? Because, you know, you see some it's like, you know, give money, we'll give you this. Give me money, we'll give you that and uh, be blessed and everything else. Was money involved uh, in the cult you were involved in?
1: There was, but not to the degree that many cults are. He, he really, you know, that's a difficult thing. In other words, no, we didn't have to. We all worked. Most of us worked. And we all had our own careers. And we did live in separate houses, all sort of in the same neighborhood. Um, Some of us, many of us lived together, but only, you know, one or two people, two or three people at the most. Um, But the way he made his living, which, oh, my God, how convenient. He was a hypnotherapist. (laughs) So, So we would go to hypnotherapy every week. And literally hand him our psyche every week.
3: Oh, my goodness.
1: Right? So he knew all of our fears. He knew all of our stories. He knew all of our everything. Well, what a perfect scenario for a a malicious narcissist, right? Because Mm -hmm. every time you question him, he would say, well, don't you remember your father used to do this? You're just projecting that on me. You know, and he would turn it around. He would take all your stories and all your secrets that you shared with him and used them against you. Another mm-hmm. trick of a narcissist. Um, they're never wrong. It's always you or someone else. They're never wrong. And they, they will blame and they will ostracize and they will demonize everybody else but themselves to glorify themselves. This is this sounding familiar at all? <laughs> this is mm-hmm. what's happening in our country.
3: It almost sounds like gaslighting to a degree.
1: It's not almost. That is what gaslighting is. So when you're gaslighted, you start to question your own eyes, your own ears. And if you say, no, that didn't happen, and they turn around and say, oh, yes, you're saying this because, and then they turn it around on you, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, we were gaslit. He He would do, Um, Do you remember the term parlor tricks? Parlor tricks comes from a phrase back in the last century. There used to be uh, people that would come to wealthy people's houses and they would do seances. Mm -hmm. And they would make the table raise and they would make lights go on and off. And And they would usually do that in a parlor. That's why the word parlor trick, that's where it comes from, right? So I've come to find out he did parlor tricks like that. Huh. Where he would literally, you know, he would get you on your knees with your eyes closed, and he would use a flashlight in front of you, making you think you're seeing light. You know? Oh,
3: my gosh. <laughs> I mean,
1: he would do all these crazy bullshit parlor tricks, right? So, and he had, and the problem, here's the thing, too. This is why I call it the followers. They can never do it alone. They Mm -hmm. have to have followers who are in on it. So it's a collective deception. Wow. So there were people in the room that knew that he was using flashlights or knew that when when he would pretend that he was psychic, he had just had a conversation with someone who told them that story, right? That mm-hmm. person knew, but they would never say anything. So, uh, you know, I I use the, uh, the example of when you go to Disneyland, you know it's a fake, but you're willing to forego your disbelief to enjoy the ride, right?
3: Mm-hmm. It, it if, is a small world after all, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes.
1: But what if you don't know it's a fake? And what if everybody in your life, all your best friends and your family and the person that you admire the most are all in on it? What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence or education. You know, I'm neither stupid nor uneducated, Right. But I always say I say, Do you think
3: that the uh, the millionaires and the lawyers that were duped by Bernie Madoff were stupid? Mm-hmm. I, or I think. I I'm I'm glad you brought that point up as well, too. You're thinking the millionaire and lawyer, you know, looking at a cult and they say that's ridiculous, but being duped by Bernie Madoff, it's like, you know, I was just really stunned by it. And a lot of the performers that gave their money to uh to Bernie as well, too. It's like they're still touring out there just to um Recoup all the losses. When I read about that, boy, that was sad.
1: Right. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with the con, figuring out what you want, whether it's a lot of money, whether it's you know removing regulations to keep your business from doing what you want, whether it's enlightenment, whether it's uh, feeling belo- the feeling of belonging, whatever the motivation is, he figures it out. And he gives it to you or gives you the illusion of it,
4: you mm-hmm. know?
1: And so it's not intelligence, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. So in my book, I take you down this path to show you the parallels. Because when, when people in the audience were saying, oh, I'd never fall for that. Really? You may not fall, fall for that. But you're falling for this. There's 74 million people out there right now in this country that are falling for a narcissistic sociopath. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And again, it's not about politics. It's about pathology. And this is a dangerous, slippery slope because the more you feed the narcissist, the bigger they get and the more craving they get. They become addicted to their own reflection. So if they can start to create, and they do, they're usually... They usually take on a bully persona. Now, they won't in public. In public, they're, uh, you know, they're divine, right? They're benevolent. They're charismatic. They're loving. They're all of those things. But in real life, look at Charles Manson. Look what he provoked them to do. Look what Jim Jones provoked those people to do.
3: Oh, that's sad. The Kool-Aid 900 plus going. Oh, my goodness.
1: So Jim Jones wasn't in public. He wasn't a, a vicious, you know, whatever. No, he was a charismatic, wow, what do you got, you know? So in public, they will do one thing, and in private, they will do another. And the people that are in their entourage don't divulge that. And they don't for many reasons, which I talk about in my book. You know, it's a complicated situation. I don't blame, you know, with all, there was about 150 members in my group. And I don't blame one of them. Mm-hmm. I understand one of them. I don't blame the people in my country. Right. That's why I wrote the book. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pointing one finger out here and three fingers back at me. I understand the psychological manipulation that occurs. And so I wrote this book so that we can have compassion for each other. So that instead of mudslinging back and forth, we can understand that, first of all, it's not you. (laughs) You are being deceived. You are being manipulated. You know, my family... The, my family died before I left the group, most of my family. But they had disowned me. My brother was the only one left. He disowned me. And why? Because he took it personally. He thought that I had abandoned him, so he abandoned me. So, And I can understand why, but I, my advice to people who have people that they think may be caught up in this kind of mindset Remember that the narcissist is competing with you, the outsider. They do not want anybody's attention but your relative or your friend. So they will demonize you, and they will convince them that you are the bad guy. But understand that that person, your relative or your friend or whatever, is under a powerful influence, not only an influence of a powerful leader, but the influence of the group that they surround themselves with Mm -hmm. and the group, you know, it's like, I, I asked myself, how far would I have gone? Now, fortunately, I still had a moral compass. I did find that line in the sand and I was not going to cross it. And when I came to it, uh, I said, I'm out. Right. But it took, Mike, it took 25 years, you
3: know, to to (laughs) realize it. Yeah.
1: And, you know, on the other hand, too, that was a complicated decision because I knew I had I had seen people who left before me and I saw how they were demonized and ostracized. And we're you know, we were trained that anything on the outside of the group. One of the things that the leader does is they they train you or program you to think that you are exceptional. That you are special. And that they out there are the enemy or they are we used to literally refer to ourselves as holy company. And anyone who was not was dead, unconscious. Right? Mm-hmm. No one no one wants to go out to the world of the dead. That wasn't appealing. Especially when all your friends are here. Right? And all the secrets and the deep, deep things that we were sharing, nobody on the outside could understand that. So it wasn't just leaving him. It was leaving everybody. And my decision, I knew, I knew that when I left, they would all turn against me. And they did, most Mm -hmm. of them. And so I would have to go out into the desert with no one. Why did it take me so long? That I had no place to go. Mm -hmm. My family had disowned me. All of my friends from the past were gone. It would be lonely and frightening, and I and I had had such amazing experiences that I didn't think that anyone on the outside could ever relate to me. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, Mike, they don't. One thing we will all say that we're in the Buddha field—you had to be there. <laughs> you know, we all understand. No matter no matter what we did, or no matter you know what each person's story is and you know there was 150 people i would say there was 150 different stories
3: oh my goodness and uh we'll get to those stories in just a minute as well and uh the third um trade as well too with uh right Rod, right of um lease of um the followers but first listen to the mike whitener show at the mike whitener com, powered by soundquay Absidios. Visit online at SonicWebSedios.com for early needs. Looking at a professional website without breaking your budget, Sonic web Studios is the answer. Sonic web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs at below the competition rate. Call today, 1 800 303 3960. That's 1 800 303 3960. Or email to support at SonicWebSedios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show, get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout out to our official sponsor, The Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Molson If you love fast paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love would be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson-Z has got great reviews. And Eve, love and joys by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forrest Riley, and Manilas. So grab your copy today for goes Missing by Mia molson available on Amazon. Also, check out The Mike Weidner Show at themikeweidnershow.com on over 40 podcast platforms. heard in over 100 countries, including HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and more. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to The Mike Weidner Show on the YouTube channel. Follow The Mike Weidner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. For great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com/slash and Wilson Zia for great books, merchandise, and more. I'll support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the Mike Widener Show.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with the author of the book, The Followers, Holy Hell, and the Disciples of the Narcissistic Leaders. Um, Radioclice here on the Mike Weiner Show, or Radioclice, we should say. And um, also, you talked about uh, the hummingbirds and also the um, the soldiers as well, too, being of uh, the two of the three. And what was the third type that you mentioned as well? And we're I'm, sure if you I'm glad
1: that. you mentioned that. The third type I call the kamikazes. The kamikazes are those that do not have a line in the sand. They will kill or die for the leader. Those are the Jim Jones and the Charlie Manson, and even the people in January 6th okay that are so caught up in whatever the programming whatever the group think is that they are willing to cross that line you know and so those the kamikazes and it can be you know it can be interchangeable um you know with the soldiers on a mission the deeper you go the stronger your mission becomes you know the more you the more you are even getting a taste, sort of like Bernie Madoff, you know, a Ponzi scheme doesn't start out where you give all your money and you don't get anything back, right? Mm-hmm. You give your money and you get a little bit back and turns out it's your own money, but nevertheless, right? So as that starts coming in, you start giving more and more and more. And that's how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So the same way with a soldier on a mission, they start out on a mission and they start getting satisfied with where they're going. They will step over another line and another line and another line. This is why good people end up doing bad things. You know, and you don't, you never thought of yourself like that. And one of the things that the leader does is they convince you that every action you do is a righteous act. Even like Charles Manson, who convinced his followers to do what they did because it was a a righteous political act. That's why they, you know, painted things on the walls, uh, in blood, etc. This was a political statement that Charlie Manson was doing. And he had convinced his followers that this was a righteous act that they were doing. Very similar to January 6th. It's a righteous act. right? Mm. So when you believe that what you're doing, you're becoming a martyr. Okay, You will die or kill for it. You can go from hummingbird to soldiers on a mission to a kamikaze, right? You know, so they're interchangeable. um, But those who have a deeper mission, usually they started out with that before they met the leader, right? They were indoctrinated at an early age in a certain belief. Um, So if the leader just matches your belief, then, oh my God, you found a home, Mm -hmm. but usually that is preempted by early stage indoctrination remember I was technically indoctrinated by the Catholic Church you know I believed in the saints I believed in angels I believed that they existed and I thought what higher greater thing could I do than to aspire to that right because we, we learned that those were the ultimate of ultimate human beings so, as an early uh, childhood, I was indoctrinated into the idea that the greatest thing you could become is God realized. So, when I was fourteen, um, I was in a Catholic school and to the school's credit, they were teaching um, they were teaching comparative religions. Mm. and so we were learning about not only Christianity but Judaism and Buddhism and Hinduism and all the isms, right? And this was in ninth grade. And the teacher, we were, he was droning on about Hinduism and he mentioned this word, um, Nirvana. And I asked the teacher, what does that word mean? And he said, well, uh, some yogis in India through a, <laughs> through a certain type of meditation, Experience God directly. Next question. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> I said, is that true? And he said, well, apparently. And I'm thinking, well, if that's true, what are you doing here, right? You're studying, you're a theologian, but you're not interested in actually doing that. So from the time I was 14, I set out on that mission. I believed that that would be, <clears throat> that had to be possible. You know, if you're saying if God is all things, then God must be in me somewhere and there must be a way in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I set out on a journey. And of course, you know, there was in those days a lot of psychedelic experiences and other things looking for that, looking for nirvana. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, by the time I was in my mid 20s. I had never found anyone. I had read books about this Yogi in India who experienced this and whatever, but I never met anyone in America that said, yes, i I experienced through these meditations, I experienced God directly mm. until this until this situation.
3: You, you also mentioned something about uh, getting out of the group as well, too. But it was very difficult. Maybe just go through step by step. And, um, you, you know, what was that one precise moment that made you decide to leave? And um, also the process as well, too. And, of course, you know, the, the exit as well, too. That, you know, you know, it take a step by step. And also uh, what people can learn from as well, too, being very hard. But, you know, it had to be done.
1: Well, OK. So I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave in 1995 but I didn't leave until 2006, so I was conflicted for 11 years, but, you know, I was with him in the early 80s, and as I started to see his narcissism grow, although I didn't understand that pathology at the time, I started seeing him getting so full of himself that I was getting tired of him. But here I was embedded in this group that I loved. And I loved all these people. And we were doing such amazing things. So he was like the glue that held us together. And even though I was tired of him and I I was tired of his his narcissism, which I now recognize what it is, you know, it's like, look at me, praise me. Mm -hmm. You You know, I was tired of that. I'm like going, wait. In the beginning, it was all, he used to say, connect to God's love, right? But after a while, it was connect to my love.
3: Oh, yeah, he kind of just turned it around on you.
1: And I'm like, when did that happen, right? We didn't get that in-office memo, you know, and I asked him about it. And, and you know, he's got this weird accent. And I said, "What? what is this suddenly, you know, connect to your love? And he said, well, Radia, some people, not you, because he knew how to play me, need a living master, a living God that they can touch and feel and talk to. I am just being that for them. You know, oh, it was like a big sacrifice. So to me, it was like, OK, well, I didn't know that anyone was being hurt. I could only see people that were um having a good time. So first of all, who am I to question? I was questioning my own spirituality at the time, number one. And number two, how far do you think I would have gotten in questioning the master with this huge group that is idolizing him? Right? He would have demonized me publicly right there. Right? He would have shut me down and they would have turned on me like, I use the example in my book of... um, you remember the, the, the book in the film, Lord of the Flies?
3: Mm-hmm, I remember that, yes.
1: That's what that group would have done. They would have just absolutely swarmed on me if I ever tried to put him down or confront him publicly. So I had to weigh, and this is called cognitive dissonance. I was weighing, is it worth it? He's not hurting anybody. Is it worth it for me to lose everything? Right? So that was my conflict for a long time. And I was getting more and more fed up with him and more and more angry with him. And I I didn't realize it until much later after I left when my friends were going, yeah, Roddy, you were so angry for so many years and we couldn't figure out why. And I didn't realize apparently my face doesn't hide the way been. <laughs> so, I feel. So I was angry at him. I was angry at him because he was full of shit, you know, and I could just, You know, it's like, this this isn't about you. This was about God, okay? How did it become about you? I don't care about you. Although, I did care about him. I loved him. So he became like an eccentric uncle to me. You know, what are you going to do? Throw him out? He was still funny. He was still beautiful. And he knew how to play me. So he made me very special. He made a very special relationship with me. He knew that I had a history with abusive men. So he became the benevolent male to me. Mm. Now to others, there's 150 people in the group. I would say there's 150 different stories and he's like a chameleon. He would be whatever you needed him to be. So for me, he was the benevolent male. So he wasn't, you know, he was, I was tired of his antics, but he wasn't hurting me on the contrary. He was very loving to me. So I let it go, and I let it go, but I was getting more and more, you know, pulling myself away. I knew the consequences of if I made this choice, I would lose everything, and I did everything. And so finally, the, the last straw was <clears throat> I had come home. I was trying to separate myself and find another spiritual group that I, another spiritual practice that I could find a home with. So I was kind of doing that periodically, and I had just come home, come back from a silent retreat with this other group. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing that, but I did. Mm-hmm. And I came, when I came back, there was a friend of mine. We had a class exercise that night, and she was in the floor, on the floor. She had hurt her back. And I went over to her, and I asked her, what happened? And she pulls me down, and she whispers in my ear, and she says, Rama. Okay. Now, she was in a group before this, and the leader's name was Rama. Huh. And and he was sexually abusive to the women. Oh, my gosh. He was sexually abusive to her. So when she said Rama, I knew that there was some sort of sexual abuse, but I didn't know what. I didn't know the details yet. And so, and she wouldn't tell me yet. So the next day, I go over to her house, and she starts telling me the story of a guy. This was a heterosexual guy who went to cleansing or his hypnotherapy session, and the guy was trying to, uh, and the the teacher was trying to seduce him, get into oh his gosh. clothes off. So when I heard this, the guy was in the room, and. He said, it was me. I said, is the story true? And he goes, yes. To me, that was it. You know, Mike, I just, that was the last straw for me. That was the line in the sand. And so when I I was looking at another guy that was in the room, and he opened up, and he started telling his story. So now it was this gigantic Me Too movement, right? What had happened was when the guy left the leader's room, Because he said, no, I don't want to do this, I'm not into this, and he left. When he left, the teacher went and called all of his friends and tried to subterfuge the situation and made him out as the villain. Typical of what Trump does on a daily basis. He would say, he'd get on the phone and go, this guy is in love with me, and even though I'm celibate, and I said no, He still wanted to, so he's going to tell you all of these lies about me. He totally made it up because that's what a narcissist does. And so he turned all of his friends, or tried to turn, instead of taking responsibility for himself, he tried to turn it on the victim. That was it for me. That was my line in the sand. And I knew... That if I make this decision, this will be the end of it for me. This will be this will be the worst thing that'll ever happen to me, and it was. So when I left, um, it was like I was an elder in the group. So when you're an elder, that's like when there's a mate, you know there's always tears. There's tears in these groups. There's hierarchies. So there's always the leader and his immediate entourage. That would be the cabinet right and his closest disciples people who lived with him then there were the initiates like me then the aspirants then the newbies and these are ranks and the leader he manipulates the ranks he puts them in positions and appeals to their own narcissism their own power play on the levels below them right this is all strategy so that he keeps his closest loyalty, his loyalist people around him closest. They're the ones that also know what's going on behind closed doors and they won't divulge what's going on until later when they leave and then we'll write a book about it. Okay. but mm, it's Just time, like you did. <laughs> well, it's like a lot of people who have written all kinds of books in the last couple of years who used to work for the president, right? Now they're coming out with all kinds of stories. Why didn't they say that then? Right? I mm-hmm. understand why they didn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, so what he did is he turned everybody against me. He basically said, "I'm going to destroy the group." And I, well, one reason why is because I was like, you know, my father was a lawyer, and um, I was grew up in the law. I had a lot of lawyers in my associations so I did a lot of his legal work you know I would be the liaison between him and a lawyer in whatever so I would advise him on that I was also sort of the group one of the group doctors right Mm -hmm. so I knew him on many levels that a lot of people didn't know him on so I was a danger to him because I knew a lot so when I left he tried to have me taken out three times.
3: Like like what? By force, guns, or um or poison or
1: what whatever. Now fortunately, everybody still had a moral compass, so so it obviously didn't go through with it. But he approached three different people, and one actually literally hired or interviewed a hitman.
3: Oh my gosh.
1: That's how far they will go. If they think that they're threatened or that they will be exposed, they will stop at nothing. I'm telling you, this is not about, this is about pathology, dangerous pathology. And they will kill if need be, if they have to, to destroy anyone who, can, who exposes them. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and even though I didn't want to expose him, I really didn't, I... I You know, when I left Mike, I still loved him. I was really disappointed with him, but I still loved him. I really didn't want to hurt him. I just wanted to leave. I just wanted out. Mm -hmm. You know, and it wasn't until 10 years later when all of this came out and I started to hear really when I wanted to understand how this happened. That's when I wrote this book. And you know what? It's not about him. As a matter of fact, the first page in my book, it says to Jaime Gomez, you're so vain, you probably think this book is about you.
3: (laughs) I'm sure Carly Simon would have loved that. He would
1: have appreciated it for sure. And I wrote that on the first page because the narcissist is going to think this is about him. This is not about him. This is about the followers. This is about me. This is about what made me do what I did. You know, what makes people do what they do. And so it's really not about the leader. It is about the followers. Why do we follow someone like that? Why do do we allow them to manipulate us? And so that's really what the book is about. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, but he won't think that. He'll think this book is about him. I could care less about him. I don't even think about him other than, when I'm talking to my friends, or or when I was doing the research on this book, I had to go back to some of my friends and and ask stories, like tell me about this. Did this really happen? And they'd say, Oh yeah, you know. So <laughs> I didn't find out about some of this stuff for ten years after I left.
3: Oh my gosh! And and where can we find the followers at?
1: So you can get the followers on Amazon, and you can get it also on Audibles. And it's in my own voice, because who knows the sarcasm better than me? And there's a lot of (laughs) sarcasm in there. There's a lot of humor in it, because I I wanted it to be, you know, I'm saying some very, um, very poignant things, Mike, but this isn't, this book wasn't written for scholars. This book isn't written for people who follow politics or follow what's going on. This is for your average Joe you know, who doesn't have time after a hard day's work to come home, put the kids to bed, get dinner on the table and slog through the diagnostic manual of, you know, uh, mental disorders. <laughs> so I want to write this in a very, in a very entertaining way, in a very storytelling way, um, in a, and, and with a lot of humor, a lot of sarcasm, but a lot of research as well. So I bring that, that's the way I teach. That's the way I teach. You know, if I'm teaching biochemistry, obviously, I can't teach you. I I would have you asleep in two seconds if I taught you that. So, but I have to convey difficult things in stories and in pictures, you know, so that you can understand when I'm working with you as a client, what's going on with your body, right? So that's the way I teach. And that's the way I wrote this book. I wrote it for the man on the street, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one one who wouldn't otherwise, you know, read some scholarly book about whatever. So I try and make it very, very personal, um, very, uh, I sort of open the kimono of my life and myself because I, I did that because I want you to trust me. I'm a human being just like you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to see possibly or relate to me, you know, as a writer, as a human being, uh, as a person who had a very interesting hands-on experience with this kind of thing, because you know, there are narcissists. You could have a narcissist as your spouse, as your teacher, as your uh, religious teacher, as your you know political leader, as your as your boss, as the CEO, the corporation. This is about pathology and narcissists. You know, as um, There's a book called The Sociopath Next Door by Martha Stout, Ph.D. And she said that there are one out of 25 Americans are sociopaths. That's a quarter of this country.
3: Wow. That is something. Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. So you can get it on Audible in my voice. Uh, If you're driving and you don't have time to read, um, it's fun to listen to. Um, otherwise, if you're a reader, it's both in um, Kindle and soft cover and hardcover.
3: Okay. We will certainly do that. what's come up for uh, Rodney Gleese uh, where the book the Followers, What's Come up for her in 2022? Find out just one minute. You listen to the Mike Weidner show at the mike show.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at socrabstudios.com for all your needs. Also, brought to you by our official sponsor, The Mike Wagner Show, International Warring Author, Mia Molson's The Missing, available on Amazon, paperback, and ebook. We'll be back with you. author of The Followers, Holy Hell, and the Disciples of the Narcissistic Leaders. Right at least, after this time.
0: The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1-800-303-3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project.
3: Hey hey! This is Ray Powers, and boy, are you in luck! Right place, right time. Tuned in to the Mike Wagner Show. You heard me. We're back with author Radia. Least of the uh, followers, holy hell, and disciples of the narcissistic leaders here on the Mike Wagner Show. Very very interesting tale. What you did, and um, what we can learn, and everything else, and um, you know, being followers as well too. And uh, what else can we expect from you in twenty twenty two and beyond, Radia?
1: Well, hopefully, you know, I, I just, I just put out the second edition. Um, the second edition, you know, it's like our history is, as I say in my book, history's writing itself faster than a stenographer on crystal meth. You know, you can't <laughs> keep up with, with what's going on in the craziness in this country, what's going on in the craziness of this world. So, you know, there might be some other editions coming forward, Right now I'm working on a, uh, another book. Um, I've written, this is actually my third book, but this is my first published book. I'm working on another book called Harder to Fall, um, The Addiction of Power and Money. And uh, so, you know, I'm, while I'm working and doing my life, I, I really love to write. And so I've written a lot of uh, articles and a blog So you can go to radhia.com, R-A-D-H-I-A, put that H in the right place. Everyone wants to knock it around.
4: R-A-D-H-I-A,
1: Gleis, G-L-E-I-S.com. And there's articles on there and um, more media interviews and more, you know, more fun. And I'm constantly uh, submitting blogs and what have you on, on contemporary stuff of what's going on in this world.
3: Okay. We're certainly looking forward to doing that and check out a website as well in our book. And who do you consider biggest influence in your career?
1: Cool. Say what?
3: Who do you consider biggest influence in your career?
1: Who is my biggest influence in my career? I lo- there's quite a few that I like. I really like Rick Wilson. Rick Wilson. I love him as an author. Um, I really like Jane Mayer. She is one of my heroes. Um, she's a great influence to me. Um, I don't know. I've got a lot of them uh, that i that I like and that I follow, and I appreciate um, um, Maureen Dowd love her as a writer. Um, she's wonderful. So, you know, those are my heroes. those are my archetypes. Um, and I hope that uh, I hope that people enjoy my book as much as I enjoy those authors. And some of them are in there. Some of them I have quoted. Um, and uh, in the in the back of my book is a four-page bibliography on the some of the quotes in my book. And so those check those out too because all those books are great. You know, they're really really good and important to read. These are important. These are real journalists and real uh, thinkers, and I, I love them.
3: Mm-hmm. And certainly as well, too. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point?
1: If you have a few, first of all, if you think that you're being influenced, and I don't care what it is, being influenced in religion, in politics, in whatever, be mindful of your thoughts, Question question and don't be afraid to question question everything is that reality or is that what somebody told me look at both sides of everything listen to listen to people who have experience you know i have experience if you have a friend or a relative you think are you know involved in some sort of groupthink or some activity that may not be true, pay attention to that. You know, it's, listen to the signs. If they're lying all the time, if they're gaslighting, if you see one thing and they tell you, no, that's not what you see, that's your first clue. That's the first clue. If they are constantly self-aggrandizing themselves, that's your first clue. If they're talking bad about everyone else and putting themselves up as, I'm the only one that can do this for you, okay? That's a first clue. Pay attention to those clues. Your inner self is trying to tell you something, okay? And you want to override it because you're being offered what you think you want. So be careful of that. If you have a friend or a relative that you think is involved, first of all, have patience. Don't take it, don't take it personally. They are being influenced, and they're being influenced against you, by the way. So don't take it personally. It isn't their fault. They want to believe, and they're being made to believe that their their decisions are righteous decisions. So have a place to land. I didn't have a place to land. So the choices that I couldn't make because I didn't have anybody on the outside that was going to embrace me it was going to be a loving open arms to me and say you have a place you know go do whatever you want but when you're through you've got a place here you have a home okay that's what i would recommend to people don't take it personally have compassion no do not think for a minute that you could not be deceived do not think for a minute that you're smarter than they are because they're brilliant they're brilliant you know, and they're very motivated. So, you know, that's my, that's my recommendation to people.
3: And certainly look forward as well too, and keep eyes on that. Once again, with, uh, author, uh, Roddy At of the followers, holy hell and disciples of the narcissistic uh, leaders on the Mike Wagner show. Roddy, A very big thank you for your time. You share an amazing story. You did a great job. Looking forward to you having again soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love to have you back. And once again, um, tell us about your, uh, website and, uh, where can we, uh, purchase of books and um, so a, and check you, you out and everything else.
1: I appreciate that, Mike. You can go to my website, which is ridingatgleese.com. Easy, dot com. You can buy my book off my website, or you can go directly to Amazon. Just if you keyed in the followers, holy hell, you don't even have to put the rest. The followers, holy hell. And by the way, the holy hell is in reference to the movie, So those of you who have not seen the movie, Amazon, it was originally uh, bought by uh, CNN, and then Netflix bought it, and then Amazon took it. So it's on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Holy hell. Check that out. Also, coming up, um, I don't know when it is, but I really want people to check this out. Netflix is doing a series, and they just brought me out to Los Angeles a few months ago to be interviewed for this series. The series is called um, How to Become a Tyrant. And mm-hmm. the first season is already up and it's a great. They do kind of like what I did uh, with my book. They they made it very entertaining and they used animation and they used humor to really tell a story of tyrants in history. And so the second I'm in the second season that's coming up. Um, I don't know what episode I am, but it'll it'll be up soon. That was a good interview. Um, So, But check out, it's on Netflix now, it's called How to Become a Tyrant, or on Amazon, the, the documentary Holy Hell. And if you see the documentary Holy Hell, I'm in it. But you'll also see me, there's, you know, 30 years of archival footage. So you'll see me when I'm about 29 years old. Wow. Right? And so you'll see all of us and you'll get an idea As you read my book, if you've seen the film, then you have a picture in your mind of what we look like, what he looked like, what he eventually looked like, which he started out being really beautiful physically and ended up with all kinds of plastic surgery and whatever. He ended up being a monster, really a monster. So, you know, check that out. And uh, that's on Amazon. Holy hell.
3: We certainly will do so. Once again, Roddy, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Live Abby back. We wish all all best and definitely have a great future.
1: Thank you, Mike. Have a good night.
0: The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios.
2: brought to you by international award-winning author Mia Mosenzia of Missing and powered by Sonic Web Studios. Be sure to join us again on over 40 podcast platforms and of course on the MikeWagnerShow.com, hamiltonradio.net and diamonds fm. Don't forget to support our program with a generous donation at the micweignershow.com. Thanks for listening.